I want you to get your Bible. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 8. I'm going to start by asking you a question. Do you know why it is that people who, uh, what people do who don't want to serve the Lord, but they still want his help, do you know what they do? They don't want to serve God, but they do want his help. They try to get to God through other people. Have you ever noticed that? Um, they will look for somebody that they, that they wouldn't even want to normally be around under normal circumstances and begin to try to pull that person on board with their particular situation. I, I remember my, my dad talking about when I was a kid, he talked about how that there was a period of time where he wasn't serving the Lord. But my grandmother was a godly woman and and he would, t- I can remember as a kid him telling the stories about how she would take the, take the Bible and lay it on the floor and literally stand on the word and pray and say, God, I'm standing on your word. I'm standing on your promises. And uh, her, her prayers were so effectual uh, that whenever, he told me that there were times whenever he needed a prayer answered, he knew that he wasn't walking with the Lord, so there wasn't no need in him praying. He'd get his mama to pray. Uh, in order that, that the need would be met. And many times the Lord ministered and met the need, whatever that was. But there's a lot of people that, that that's the way that they try to get things accomplished in the spirit realm when they are not serving the Lord. And, and that's, uh, the story that we're going to talk about today is, is a very good illustration of that. It's a story about Pharaoh who tried to get to God through Moses. So we're talking about Pharaoh's prayer or lack of today. And it's in our text in Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. I'm reading from God's Word translation. It said, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and tell him. This is what the Lord says. Let my people go to worship me. Now watch this. Now if you refuse to let them go, I'm going to bring a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile River will swarm with frogs. They're going to come into your palace, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your officials, on the people, into your ovens, and even into your mixing bowls. These frogs, verse 4 said, are going to jump on you and on your people and on all your officials. The second time he said that, he's trying to get his attention. I want you to notice something between uh, verses 4 and 5. This is a pretty, this is a pretty impassioned plea, Right? Moses is telling, this is what God said. If you don't let these people go, if you don't start listening to the voice of God, he's going to send these frogs on you. And I want you to notice the lack of any type of response from Pharaoh per this at all. And and why why do I say that? Because you look between verses 4 and 5, there should be something in there that said, Pharaoh said, oh no, don't do that. Hold on, time out. But it's not there. There's nothing. This Pharaoh's just unconcerned. So verse 5 kicks in because there's no response. Then the Lord said to Moses, okay, tell Aaron, hold your staff over the rivers, the canals, the ponds. This is going to bring frogs onto the land. So Aaron held his staff over the waters of Egypt. The frogs came up, covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same thing using their magic spells. And they brought frogs onto the land. Now I want you to know something else. This is what happens when the devil tries to show out. 
the devil is able to, he has no creative ability. You need to understand that in your life. First of all, the devil doesn't create anything God creates. Satan simply tries to pervert things that God created that were good. Think of anything that went south. Think of anything that is messed up in our world from any direction you can think of it. And there's a real good chance that what happened there was that God created something good and beautiful and Satan figured out a way to pervert that. So here's what you have going on in this story. These magicians are able to produce more frogs. And all the people, ooh and ah, look at our magicians. They can produce, check this out, they can make the problem worse. Look at our guys. God put frogs on us and our guys brought us more frogs. They didn't get rid of them. Sometimes... I think God just snickers at the devil. Because when the devil thinks he's doing his worst, he's really just fulfilling the plan of God. The devil says, I'm going to show you I can do the same thing. God says, go ahead, because all you're going to do is make the frogs worse, and I'm really wanting to make the frogs really bad. So I'll give them frogs, and you give them frogs, and you can think you're really cool, and I'll laugh at you, and they'll have more frogs. You see how that works? And notice who it is that God's listening to. Who's he responding to? Verse 13 will tell you who he's responding to. God's not answering Pharaoh. He's not answering Pharaoh's minions because they're not right with him. This is a powerful word today that I'm about to share with you. I'm being very careful. I've prayed that God would help me to be able to present this. I want to present this in love and in boldness, but I want to do it in kindness because I really don't have a dog in the fight. I don't want, the last thing I ever want anybody to do is walk away from here angry and not allow the word to change him. But that happens a lot of time. When, when the word is, the word of God is confrontational in love. And a lot of people get angry by that and, and they'll, they'll hear the first thing that they don't like and they'll close their ears to all the rest. And then they just become angry at the messenger. In the scripture, they just kill the messenger when they didn't like what they heard. I'm thankful that today that's illegal. So you can throw stuff at me, but you can't shoot me. So I'm going to point out some interesting observations about Pharaoh's prayer and why it didn't do him any good. I'm going to show you what it was not. You get your paper and your pen and write these down. Pharaoh's prayer was not personal. Look at verse 8. Pharaoh sent for Moses. Now the frogs are there. And the frogs are bad. In fact, the frogs are worse than they would have been if Pharaoh's boys hadn't tried to help. So now it is unbearable, folks. It's unbearable. And Pharaoh sends for Aaron and he says, Pray that the Lord will take the frogs away from me and my people. And then I'll let your people go and offer sacrifice to the Lord. What's he said? Moses, you pray in my place. It's not a personal prayer. It's not going to be effective either, Pharaoh. If you want real results, personal results, you're going to have to learn to pray your own prayer. Other people can pray with you. Other people can pray for you. But can't nobody pray your prayer. Nobody has the, 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 the passion. Nobody has the burden. Though we'll bear that burden with you, we care about what's going on in your life. 
you're going to sense that. There's going to be people that walk alongside of you. There are people that you want to get on board with you. You need to call the prayer chain. You need to call people that are spiritual. But the bottom line is, you're going to have to learn how to pray your own prayer. Pharaoh's prayer wasn't personal. And secondly, Pharaoh's prayer wasn't urgent. Verse 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, you have the honor of choosing when I should pray for you, you and your people. Frogs will leave you. Only ones that will be left are those in the Nile. And Pharaoh said, pray for me tomorrow. And Pharaoh said, and Moses replied, okay, it'll be just like you say. I'm going to pray it the way you want me to so that you'll know there's no one like the Lord our God. Tomorrow. Really. Tomorrow. I want you to see this. These frogs are everywhere. They're hopping. They're they're, forgive me, but they're croaking, they're peeing. They're in your cupboards, they're in your bed, they're all over your floor. But you don't mind spending one more night with them. Moses said, I've, I've got the ear of God, what do you want me to say? He says, well, pray for him. He said, okay, I'm going to do it. When do you want this done? He says, tomorrow. I'm going to deal with this one more night. And we hear this and we think to ourselves, how ridiculous, but it's not as ridiculous as you think, or at least not as uncommon as you think. People that live in the world I live in hear this kind of request all the time. Pastor, pray for me. I'm about to give up something. Just as soon as this fifth is gone, I'm not going to get another one. Just as soon as I finish off this 12-pack, I'm going to quit. Just as soon as I smoke the last one out of this carton, probably going to be about next week sometime, then I'm going to give this up. Those are people that are saying, give me one more night with the frogs. I know they're destroying my life. I know that they're tearing up my health. I know that they're the reason for most of what is going wrong in my life. And I intend to quit tomorrow. I'm preaching now. I'm going to quit drinking myself and eating myself and smoking myself to death tomorrow. Don't pray for me tonight because I really don't want you to mess up my last night with the frogs. If your prayer isn't urgent, then God may not be urgent about answering it. And number three, Moses' prayer wasn't repentant. Look at verse 11. Moses said, okay, the frogs are going to leave you. The only ones that are going to be left are in the Nile. So after Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses prayed about the frogs that he'd brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. It's verse 13. The Lord did what Moses asked. And the frogs died in the houses, in the yards, in the field. And they were piled up into countless heaps. Land began to stink because of them. And when Pharaoh saw that the plague was over, he repented of his sins. He changed his life. He gave his heart to God. He turned the people loose. He worshiped their God. Is that what your Bible says? Mine says he became stubborn and would not listen to Moses and Aaron as the Lord had predicted. None of this caused him any remorse. 
none of this caused him shame or conviction. He, 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 he remains unrepentant. And you got to understand something. It wasn't just through this occurrence. This was one of ten terrifying, miraculous disasters that God brought on those people. It was only one of ten. And yet this man remained unchanged through all of it. Some people just never get it. I stand back sometimes and I think, I don't say it out loud, but I'm like, are you kidding me? After all the things that you've been through and you still don't see the hand of God trying to reach you, what else could he do? He's tried love, he's tried conviction, he's tried discipline, he's even tried pain, and he still can't get through. You still won't repent and change and walk away from the sin that's destroying your life. After all this, Pharaoh just keeps right on doing what he's been doing. And forgive me, he just keeps right on being an idiot. Now, I want to quickly point out the results of the plague in his life. This is the results of this whole occurrence. Because those of you that know the story, you know for Pharaoh it doesn't end well. And for all of his folks, it doesn't end well. But, but, but initially, right after, after Moses prays the prayer and the frogs die, I want you to see what the results in Pharaoh's life are of the plague. Number one, he goes unanswered. God never responded to Pharaoh. God only responded to his own servant. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying God is, in my opinion, from, the study, from my studies... God hears the prayers of a lot of people and he answers in mercy. But he is only bound by his word to respond to the prayers of his servants. In his mercy, he responds to a lot of other people as well. And he always hears the prayer of a sinner who is repentant. But he responds to the prayers of those who serve him. So God... Answered Moses, but not Pharaoh. Number two, Pharaoh remained unchanged. When this is over, he's still just as, as rebellious and dumb as he was before. And here's what you got to understand about it. He never intended to change. Listen to this real closely. He just wanted things to be better while he kept his sin. A lot of people live their life that way. How many hours have I wasted in counsel with people that didn't want to give up their sin? They just wanted me to pray conviction off of them for it. Oh God, would you be with so-and-so? That's what they wanted me to pray. God help so-and-so, bring them out of this thing, turn their life around, give them blessings in their life. God's like, D, you know you're wasting your time. I'm the bringer of the plague. I'm not going to dismiss the plague. I brought the plague. They're, they're, they're combating the devil over a plague that he didn't have any power over. The devil did nothing but merely add to this thing and make it worse. God is the one that brought the plague out of love. Wow. And this last one is rough. You think everything else was rough. The third result was this. 
he received death as his portion. I'm not talking about a physical death yet. I'm talking about here's the results. Here's what God thinks about Pharaoh's prayer or lack thereof. And here's his response to it. Piles and piles of dead, rotting, stinking, disease-ridden, filthy frogs. God says, there you go. That's what I'm giving you in response to your prayer. Now, Moses' prayer led to ultimate deliverance and freedom. But Pharaoh's leads to just piles and piles of death. Stinking, rotting, decaying messes. Wow, when I look at this passage and I think to myself, uh, and it, it, it hurts me to my core to think of some of the people that I know who are trapped in this kind of a cycle and they don't have the spiritual insight to even see what's going on and what they're living they're living in piles and piles of stinking rotten frogs they're piled all around them but they won't turn loose of them and they're praying that God would end this and God is saying it's just gonna get worse I tried loving you I tried blessing you I tried convicting you and now I'm going to let you hurt. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get through to you, he says. Whatever it's going to take. I love you enough. As you think about it this way, wouldn't life be easy if God were the God that the world wants us to believe he is that they try to make him out to be? Here's what I mean by that. Well, if he's a God of love, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. A God of mercy and love. Well, they want a God that's going to say, the Bible is just, is just a list of some things that might be suggestions that might help you, but you don't have to adhere to it. They want to say that this is a God who says to a person in their sin, I love you, you're going to heaven anyway, live however you want, I'm still going to save you. Now, how many of us would live the lives we live if we had that kind of freedom? How many of you would be true to your spouse? How many of you would live the life you should live and pay your taxes and pay your bills and pay your tithes and all the other things that we do? How many of you would do that if you could get away with it? If God said, look, I'm going to love you and you're going to go to heaven anyway. It doesn't matter how you live. I've chosen to save you. Disregard this book. Do whatever you want to do. Then you would do whatever you wanted to do. And whenever we stand up and say to that world, our God is loving, but he gives us abundant life when we adhere to his word, his ways, and his will. Then we have success. Then we understand peace. Then we know what joy is. We can't have those things bereft of those things. And the world says, you're unkind. You're a hater. You're politically incorrect. It's a hard stand to take, but it's a stand that has to be taken in love. I, you know, I, um, I go way back. In my mind, 35 years ago, that's a long time for some of you that weren't even here then. 
35 years ago, I was 19 already. And I was running from the Lord. I had a call on my life to preach. This was before I had met Deb. And God sent plagues to me. He had tried loving me. I was raised in a godly home. He had tried encouraging me. He had tried everything he could do to keep me on track. But 18, 19, 20, I decided that I was just going to kind of do my own thing. I won't go into the whole testimony, but in one day's time, in one day's time, I lost my car in a wreck, my driver's license that same day for the wreck and other things. <laughs> uh, my job and came very close to losing my life. Now, you say, well, you know, you're 19, it's not that big a deal. I, at the time, I lived an hour and a half away from my parents. I lived on my own. I made a lot of money. You know, I had it going on, guys. I was driving a Camaro. I had money laying around everywhere. I was hiding hundreds of dollars around different places. Did whatever, lived however I wanted to do, did whatever I wanted to do. And I went from living in a three-bedroom, two-story house by myself in one day's time to living at my mom and dad's house in one bedroom in a church parsonage an hour and a half away with my mama driving me back and forth to work because I couldn't even drive myself. Now, that's not a lot of fun to go from being Mr. Big Dog to I live at my mama's house and she drives me around. <laughs> and she ain't happy about it either. <laughs> Talking to me about you hadn't lost your license. You, know. you think I'm enjoying driving you around? You know. As you can imagine the conversations I'm having. I can't believe my mom's driving me around town. And you look back on those circumstances, and man, I'm praying. During that time, I'm seeking God. I'm like, God, Lord, i got to get my life right. I mean, it was a crossroads for me. It really was. It changed my life because I realized that God was last-ditch effort. I mean, it was, it, it was big-time salvation, physical salvation for me because nobody should have walked away what I walked away from. And I realized that this was God trying to get my attention and that I might not have any other chances. This might be it. And, I, and it put me on a, on, a, 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 on a pace for change. It couldn't happen overnight, but I'm telling you, man, I repented. I got my mind right. I got away from the people I was running with quite a ways away from them, actually. And I started trying to get myself together. And then I spent months and months asking the Lord, why doesn't this just all go away? I'm living right now. I repented. I asked you to forgive me. Why don't they give me my driver's license back? Why can't I move on with my life? 
Why can't I do this and this and this? And why, why, am, why is this following me? Why am I paying these fines? Why am I dealing with these tickets? Why are they chasing me? And why doesn't this just all go away? And God's like, hey, you walked into that. You're going to have to walk out of it. I'll walk. Difference is I'll walk with you out of it. But you're, you, it took you a while to dig that hole. You're going to have to stick to the straight and narrow. You're going to put one foot in front of the other. You're going to have to walk right for a while. It, it took you a while to get in this hole. It may take you a while to get out of it. And it did. It took me a while to walk out of it. Best probably thing that ever happened to me. Saved me a lot of time and a lot of years. Hadn't it happened to me the way that it did, there's no telling what might have happened. I might have ended up like some of these folks that are in and out of jail all their lives and the disappointment to their parents and, I mean, all kinds of stuff that could have happened. But instead, God sent me a plague. And it broke me off. Took it several months to completely do it, but it broke me off. And the result of that, of putting one foot in front of the other and walking straight for just a little while, that's where I found my wife. Deb was in that town. I would have never been there. The Lord had her there. She didn't know that she was going to be cursed so I could be blessed. <laughs> but had that not happened, I would not have ended up in that town living in that. I, was, I didn't have any intention to move into that town. Man, I had it going on. And I ended up meeting her. And I met a lot of other people that changed my life and a lot of, set a lot of things in motion for the reason why I'm where I am today. 35 years ago, that happened. 35 years later, here's where we are. But that's what God does when love first and encouragement and blessing and patting and all that doesn't work. Eventually, you get to plagues. Eventually, the love of God will bring the plagues. And the magicians can't make it better. They can only make it worse. And can't nobody pray it off of you. And can't nobody fix this for you. You're going to have to walk out of this. But it's only going to happen when you finally get broke off to the place that you're will, really ready to repent of your sins be convicted, change, and start walking in a different direction because the direction that you're currently walking in is obviously not doing you any good. What's the life lesson to all this today? This is the conclusion. It's this. You cannot piggyback your way into heaven off of someone else's relationship with God. You're going to have to develop your own. You're going to have to pray your own prayer from a right heart and a right motive and a right mind and a right soul and a right life if you want to, God to treat your prayers the way that he treated Moses's. Your mom or your dad can't make things right. Your pastor can't make things right. Another Christian can't save you. The only way that your life is going to straighten out is when you stop living a lie. And get your heart right with Jesus.
And until then, your prayers aren't worth that much. And what your life is producing is just going to continue to be dead and stinking. That's what more of what you're doing is going to produce. That's why for Pharaoh, it was, it was worthless. It was powerless. It was completely ineffectual. But when Moses prayed, it moved heaven and earth. If you put off repentance one more day, then you're going to have one more day to repent for and one less day to repent in. But today is the day. And if I were you, I wouldn't let pride or arrogance or even the fact that maybe somebody thought I was a Christian for 25 years keep me from an altar. If I thought there was a way that I could kick and shove my way through the piles of dead stinking frogs that are keeping me from the abundant life that Jesus intended for me, there would be no kind of pride or no nothing that could keep me from kicking my way through those frogs to get to Jesus. I share this with you today and completely out of love. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't, you're like, well, you, he's probably got somebody in mind. I don't have anybody in mind. I'm thinking this morning, it might even be folks that are with us on the live stream that this word is for today. I have no clue who this word is for. But I do remember, and I have told this and I won't tell it all, I do remember for me what that looked like. A walk down in front of a lot of people at the age of 19 when I'd been the pastor's son my whole life. To get up and acknowledge it was time for me to repent of my sins. I walked down an aisle in front of hundreds of people. And to say to all of them, I don't care what they think. Because I'm sick of living my life with dead frogs. And I got to get this plague off of me. I got to get myself back into a place where the, the plagues become blessings. And that place exists. It does exist. Lord, I ask you today to give us courage. Give us courage that we not be afraid and not be worried or that we not be prideful. Lord, I don't care if it's a, a, little, a little older lady who we all thought was serving you for the last 75 years. If she needs to come down here, give her the courage to do, us, to do it. Or if it's a man who everybody looks up to and thinks that they're the greatest servant, I pray, God, give us the courage. Give us the courage to pray our own prayer today. We're going to pray our own prayer today. We're going to step to an altar and kneel down and throw our hands up and give our lives up. We're going to give everything up. We're going to surrender everything, and we're going to get our life right, repent of everything that you convict us of, and we're going to give you all the trash and the frogs God, we're going to walk out of here one plague less. In some cases, maybe lots of plagues less than we carried in.
Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. As Neil leads us in this song this morning, these altars are open, and I pray that you would not be afraid to respond. Pastor, are there going to be people down here to pray with us? I'm going to tell you this like it was for me. Initially, no. I'm, I'm going to let you just come and find yourself a place to pray because I'll tell you, when, that, when I had to pray that prayer, I didn't really need anybody around me. I just needed to make a public profession. I needed to get on my knees, and I needed everybody away. I just needed to get down there because I had to talk to Jesus. And so I'm not going to put you up here with prayer team or people praying with you know if you want that at some point you can do that but I'm saying right now this is a time for this house to consider where you are and if you need to repent here's your opportunity to come around the altar walk around stand sit kneel whatever you need to do but you need to have some time with Jesus today because you've got to stop praying Pharaoh prayers And you've got to start praying Moses' prayers. And it's time. It's time to repent. During this song, find yourself a place and let's pray.